Alrighty y'all, welcome to the Super Sexy Podcast, where every other week we gather together to speculate as to the sex lives of superheroes. It's locker room talk for nerds, geeks, fanboys, and any and all aficionados of pop culture. As always, I'm your host, the Scarlet Knight himself, Matthew J. Therio. With me, as always, is my trusty ward, Mr. Andy Taylor. We are the Super Sexy Podcasters, and today we are talking about the bat and the cat. That's right, Batman and Catwoman. So, Andy. Yes. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your history with the character of Batman? Well, like always, I, I my first book was Nightfall that I read of his. Um, that's how I really got into him. Like it, it just, I don't know. It was it was him and that uh the the Death and Life of Superman that seemed the the two books that have the most influence on me growing up. Um, but I remember Nightfall and just reading each one of the the the, the main acts, the main parts of the stories. And was just like, wow, this this new character Bane blew my mind. You know, it was yeah. Uh, I grew up out around the same time that you did, and I gotta say, Bane was one of my favorite villains uh, because we were both getting introduced to comics or just the character of Batman at around the same age. Yeah. So for me, my first real introduction was the old Adam West '66 Batman series, which I still think is one of the best versions of Batman <laughs> out there. Like I've got a, uh, you know, Blu-ray of the entire series. That is like my prized possession in life. That and my signed poster by Burt Ward, which is in my bedroom. Those are the two possessions that I am running out of the house with if it ever goes on fire. <laughs> so I, I had the honor of talking to Adam West a few months before he died. And uh, the next year I talked to Burt Ward also, uh, both at uh, different movie premieres. Uh, in my capacity as a film critic. So those are two of the absolute highlights, like greatest moments of my life. And we're going to get into the whole story of one of them a little bit later on in the podcast as part of our end segment, Psalm at the Bar. But uh, for now, let's get into Batman and Catwoman. Because normally we would be talking about all of Batman's sexual partners, but... Uh, Catwoman is just so prolific throughout the comics and television and movies that we can dedicate a whole episode just to her. So let's get into it. Catwoman and Batman, they don't really have powers, but how do you think their personalities affect their performance in the bedroom? Okay, well, um, I, I would see Batman as, as an aggressive type. He seems to be more of like a, like, I don't see him as a passionate lover, or he'd be like an overly dramatic, passionate lover. Uh, you don't see him as overly dramatic or passionate. No, I do. Like, if he is dramatic, it'd be overly dramatic. Like, I just see him as like, you know, once he really gets into it, Selena Kyle's going to be like, no, get away from me. She, he's, she's going to give him like all of these cat scratches and shit. I suppose there are versions of Batman that emote quite a bit, especially, uh, you know, all-star Batman, the one that was uh, by Frank Miller and Jim Lee, where he's going, like, for three days, you know, fighting crime, you know, no sleep, nonstop, and he is still loving every minute of it, and he is hard and horny as he is sleep-deprived, and, you know, he is just shouting with joy and a big old grin on his face when he says, I'm the goddamn Batman. 
But uh, so a lot of other versions, though, are very dark, brooding, emotionally withdrawn. Uh, we're talking about like the Val Kilmer Batman from uh, Batman Forever, where his idea of a good date, you know, is sitting across the big, you know, mansion style table halfway across the room from his date, you know, not really emoting whatsoever. Yeah. So you have both of them. And then Batman, as the world's greatest detective, is highly analytical mind. Yeah, so. that, that that to me seems like he wouldn't even be interested in it. Like, you know, it's like depending on how he's how he's viewed, how Batman is seen and interpreted, will determine like you know how much his degree of like uh, or his affinity towards sex is. Well, I wouldn't say being a detective makes him disinterested in sex. I'm just saying that he's going to be paying attention to a lot more tiny little details that we might not be picking up on, you know, during the course of intercourse. So he might be more interested in what she's feeling than rather than what he's feeling. Possibly. Uh, I, I picture him going into like a Robert Downey Jr. as Sherlock Holmes, you know, slow-mo as he's like – you know, calculating the mathematical equations and whatnot for how to, like, properly love her. Like, okay, you know, first I'm going to, like, you know, squeeze the right tit, you know, to a 45-degree angle. <laughs> and he's doing this all in his head, like, super he's like, fast. He's, like, autistic in the bedroom, you know. <laughs> it's definitely one possibility. Uh, another is you have ideas of Batman where he is almost a monk, you know, where he's trained, you know, with monks and he has a lot of spiritual discipline, you know, where he's gone to Tibet and Nepal and, you know, all these other places to learn from yogis. So uh, he, he seems like he would be the tantric Batman. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. Because you have to remember, Batman has mastered every single style of martial arts known to man. He's a master of karate. He's a master of kung fu. He's a master of... Uh, Muay Thai, his master of Krav Maga, like anything that we've ever come up with, he is the top of that so field. I, so you have to imagine with sex, like the Kama Sutra and whatnot, he is just as much a master of every different position, all the ones we haven't even heard of. Master of yoga, master of Pilates, master of like doing everything is like with his body. Exactly. You, you got to imagine. Because that, that is the fantasy of Batman, that he is this superlative man. He's not the Superman, but the superlative man. He is just the best there is at everything. He's the best at being good looking. He is the best at being an athlete. He's the best at being a detective. He's the best at every martial arts. Whatever there is an area of human existence to excel in, he does to the best of human ability. So that, that is Batman's superpower. And he's rich. Yeah, that that helps a lot. <laughs> that really helps a lot. What do you think about Selena Kyle as Catman? Do you think the cats watch? Uh, hmm. Definitely. Or is it just a, well, or here's is the a, thing. She she's got a she's got a thing where she like cats always want to come near her for some reason. I don't know why. Well, she picks up a lot of strays. But I think one of the problems with sex with Catwoman, and it's maybe the only problem because she is fine, uh, it's got to be, there's got to be a lot of pussy puns in there. <laughs> no, can you imagine trying to have sex with her and she's constantly purring? Like, what the hell is that? <laughs> uh, that that wouldn't be as off-putting, I would say. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can you imagine making out with one of those new uh, cats in the new musical? <laughs> 
I, I refuse to even watch the trailer. <laughs> I don't need those furry images in my head. <laughs> that's essentially, it's kind of like what it is. I mean, making out with Catwoman, it's like furries without the fur, you know? No, not at all. Like, She's we going to be talking... furry and stuff. You might, might as well, like, you know, I don't know. No, she's just like Black Cat that we were talking about uh, last week. You know, she's just a very, very hot, busting woman in a leather, you know, uh, one-piece suit. Or however you want to dress her up. Sometimes it's spandex. Like, she has a few different costumes. But still, nothing approaching furry territory. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, let's get a little bit into the history of the character Catwoman. She first appeared all the way back in Batman number one. Now, that's not Batman's first appearance. That's uh, Detective Comics 27, a few months before that. He became such a hit that they gave him his own comic, Batman number one, which introduced her, but she was initially known then as the Cat. Now, Bruce and Selina, because Selina Kyle is Catwoman's real name, uh, they started dating in Jeff Loeb's uh, The Long Halloween, very, very famous uh graphic novel uh but that relationship was later retconned then they also dated during jeff Loeb's hush storyline which I, I had gone out of comics for a few years hush was one of the big things that was happening that like brought me back into comics and i never left again after that uh and it was during hush uh speaking of like great villains that got introduced in our lifetime bane and the next one after that absolutely was hush tommy elliott but anyway, side digressions. Uh, during the Hush Story line, uh, Bruce reveals his secret identity to Selena Kyle. Uh, although at the last issue of that arc, they break it off because he suspects that she was part of the whole rogues gallery that was part of this master plot by the Riddler to you know take his life down a peg. Uh, so Batman, more recently, was engaged to marry Selena Kyle in Tom King's seminal run that's still ongoing right now. And in fact, there's going to be a Batman and Catwoman comic that uh, comes out starring the both of them pretty soon. There's been Batman and Robin, but there's never been a Batman and Catwoman. So that's finally happening. Uh, Now, that engagement did not last. Uh, The wedding was supposed to happen in issue 50, but she broke off with him, you know, during that issue. And the thing about that was, it was all part of Bane's plot to break the bat's heart. You remember in you know, Nightfall, he broke the bat's back. That's what he became no, known for. Now, he broke the bat's heart. And I have to tell you, it is one hell of a run so far. Now, in other versions of the multiverse, you know, and timelines and whatnot, uh, they have been together. Like in the new, 250, uh, the new 52 uh, version of Earth 2, Uh, And in the Birds of Prey TV series and in the original, uh, I want to say, Earth 2? Yeah. Uh, They do wed in all those versions, and all of them have a daughter named Helena Wayne, who becomes her world's version of the Huntress. So, that is their relationship in a nutshell. Now, Catwoman, she has been portrayed many, many times, you know, in live action. Uh, first, Julie Newmar in the first two seasons of Batman 66, although actually before that even by Lee Merriweather in the 66 movie, which predated the show. And then, you know what happened in season three, right? 
Oh yeah, they switched the. They just made it a new person. Uh, yeah, they they recast uh, inexplicably, like you know, Eartha Kit, who. If you look the two of them up, they don't look anything like each other. It's sort of like recasting Ariel and Little Mermaid, uh, that kind of a change. <laughs> you know, just walking out like, you know, uh, one person coming out another. It's just like, what? what, what? Uh, okay, I'm just supposed to accept it. Got it. Okay. There is a famous Silver Age comic book of Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. And the title of the comic is I Am Curious uh colon black exclamation point you know on colon and, and it's actually the title of a pornographic film as well and the pornographic film came out first and on the cover you see lois going into one of superman's transformizers or whatnot uh a transformation machine you know i, I can never pronounce the way calvin does the transmogrifier Anyway, and she's like, for the next 24 hours, I've got to live life as a black woman. And it's Lois Lane in blackface in the 1960s. So maybe you had a little bit of a situation like that with Julie Newmar and Eartha Kitt. <laughs> maybe that's off screen in between well, seasons. She just took up blackface. You know, the this, this is always going to expand the, the, the universe. Like in Marvel, when they have Spider-Man be a different person, you know, Miles Morales, you know, suddenly, you, you know, you've got a different person. Well, next thing you know, you know, Catwoman's a different color, different person. And it's well, a different. It's not like in the MCU all of a sudden they start like recasting. Uh, a black Peter Parker, and no one in the world notices that he doesn't look anything like what he used to. I mean, you've had one notable recasting in the MCU, and that would have to be, uh, what's uh, his name? Uh, uh, Rhodey. Yeah, yeah. Rhodey. Yeah. Uh, other than that, though, like you haven't had any kind of recast. The, the recast has always been within a reboot like okay we're not going to go with andrew garfield spider-man anymore so we're going to have a new world the mcu therefore we need a new spider-man yeah so people don't think it's all the same yeah exactly and i i actually kind of like that i, I like when they because like you know uh captain america isn't isn't steve rogers you know it, it's captain america is a is a mantle it can be anybody who wears it if they're worthy enough to wear the mantle you know with some characters, some yeah, characters, but that yeah. gets into uh, weird territory with, like, Thor. Thor is not a mantle. That was just his name. Yeah. And then for that, then to give it to Jane Foster and take away his name and all start calling him Odin's son. I, I really didn't get what. Yeah. Well, uh, he's supposed to be the god of thunder, right? Well, then wouldn't she be the goddess of thunder? Like it would Which be... she was, yeah. yeah she, would... she did become, for a time, the goddess of thunder. And so, actually, this wrapped up about a month or so ago in the last issue of War of the Realms by Jason Aaron. And it finally made sense why he was so insistent for all those months. She's not Miss Thor or Lady Thor or Thora or Thorette. That she's just Thor. Because it all had to do with, in the... Final issue, the dark elf Malekith had a magical circle that only Thor could cross. So, in order to defeat Malekith, because he couldn't on his own, Thor got a past version of himself from Viking times, the future version of old King Thor from the end of time, and he got Jane Foster as Lady Thor to all cross through, and she was able to cross because people had been calling her Thor. And so... She got around Malekith's magic that way. And, and just for that single scene, which they'd have pretty good of a payoff, that was the whole rationale for the name change there. Okay. All right. I kind of like yeah. that. Yeah. 
We'll definitely have a whole uh, topic on Thor. Right? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't wait to talk about uh, Thor, Love and Thunder, and Natalie Portman and all that. But, Taika uh, Waititi, he's doing a fantastic job. Agreed. But uh, moving back on to Batman. Yes. Uh, so that was not the only actresses to play Catwoman. She's also been played by Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns, as well as uh, Halle Berry in a similar as a su- like as a similar superheroine in the eponymous Catwoman film, albeit unconnected to the character of Batwoman. And her secret identity is named Patience Phillips. So I don't like to even think of that as Catwoman. I mean that has won many of Razzie's well deserved, as you know. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I think she walked out with her uh, her Oscar to accept her uh, Razzie. That's right. I remember you telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that's best forgotten that movie. But she's also been uh, played by Anne Hathaway in The Dark Knight Rises, where they abscond away together to a life in anonymity at the end of the film. And yeah, that's another one where they finally like get together, settle down. You think he, uh, Bruce, had some off offshore accounts that he could just like have money saved so that he just left, like lived a like still lived a life of security and like luxury. I mean, you would think if he had offshore accounts, he would have paid his electric bill like that one time. You remember earlier in the movie got shut off, but <laughs> I mean, how did he fly back to America like as soon as he escaped prison? So maybe he did have some emergency rainy day funds. That he didn't use in the literal rainy day. Well, maybe. Maybe. So, that are, that's all the actresses that have played Catwoman. Uh, I think we're going to save our segment, Men Want to Be Him, for next episode. Because this is going to be a part two, as yes. usual. So, let's just move on to the casting couch. And in this segment, we talk about, like... Who is the most attractive actress ever to play, you know, Batman's love interest, or specifically Catwoman, in live action? And so we just listed off a few, uh, but let's really dive deep into them and see, like, what are the pluses and minuses? So who's the first one? My pick? Uh, uh, Syringus? No, no. No, not, not your pick, but just like, uh, why don't you list them out for us? Like, who are our options? Oh, uh, Serenda Swan. And Stephanie's. No, 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 not who are we casting, like who who have been cast, like who are we saying is the most attractive of the people so far? Oh, oh, okay, um, hmm, I, I would so, probably have so, to pick, uh, so the whole list, yeah, well, let's, for our listeners, let's go through the list, yeah. that's Lee Merriweather in the Batman the movie with uh, Adam West, and then in seasons one through two of the 66 show, you got Julie Newmar, uh, then you have, uh, in season three, Eartha Kitt. Michelle Pfeiffer as Selena Kyle in Batman Returns. Uh, we'll list her. We'll, we'll give her, you know, mention here. She doesn't deserve it, but Halle Berry as Patience Phillips in Catwoman. Then you got Anne Hathaway as Selena Kyle again in The Dark Knight Rises. And, and finally, we didn't list her before. Uh, a girl named Lily Simmons as Selena Kyle in the last season of Gotham. She apparently, from what I'm told, was uh, portrayed by someone else in earlier seasons. But we looked up that actress, and she is not 18 yet. So we are not discussing that. <laughs> All right. Um, 
Well, let's see. The I, I would have to get honestly. I I see uh, Selena Kyle as a brunette or auburn hair. Um, okay, as opposed to black hair. Or because no one's or, picturing her as a redheaded blonde. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Was she in that movie? Too? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, she was blonde, wasn't she? Underneath. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, I I, I just don't see. I see there's a, like a darker hair. Uh, type so it, honestly, I think the best one would be uh, Anne Hathaway. Really? Okay. Now, are there specific merits to any of the others, or what specifically about Anne um, Hathaway besides like her brunette hair? Well, she had the. She also had the look. She didn't have like the full body. Like, let's wear a mask. You know, let's. Well, she like not not wear like a full like head mask like the way Batman does. Like Anne Hathaway okay. wore that. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like it was very naturalistic, very realistic to uh, Nolan's version of that universe, where she doesn't have just like cat ears on for no reason. She just has functional gear, and it happens to look kind of like that. And it, it it looked like the older version. You know, it looked like an idealized version of what Catman Catwoman should look like. So now. On that, I kind of have to disagree personally. Now, I will give Anne Hathaway this. She worked out like crazy for that film. She lost a few, like, waist sizes, like, you know, because Catwoman, in order to be doing that athleticism that she is, you know, all the gymnastics, like, she has to be very lithe, you know, very slim and fit and trim, and Anne Hathaway absolutely put the work in there for that. Although, Julie Newmar... She was doing that week in and week out for the Batman 66 show. And, like, her outfit there really accentuated that fact. Like, you absolutely believe, wow, now that is a tiny waist. And that is a tiny little bedinka-dink on that waist. <laughs> she probably never ate. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> it's... And she just had such a great personality, especially, like, when Batman reluctantly has to put her away as like a criminal and he has to like send her behind bars and he just holds out so much hope for reform and Dick Grayson is so uncomfortable because they're just flirting even as he's like sending her off to jail like and she's like oh yeah trust me you're gonna want to wait till I get out Batman <laughs> there's some funny episodes some real sexual chemistry between Julie Newmar and Adam West so, yeah, I, I think Julie Newmar is just absolutely one of the most beautiful women of all time. So I've got to give her the win here. I, I would I would say Julie Newmar is like a um, Anne, Hathaway, Anne Hathaway would be like the idealized version of Julie Newmar. It would be like if if you could bring it into like today and you could have that look of modernized. Like if they made if they made it back then, Anne ha uh, Julie Newmar would be the person to make it. If they made it today, Anne Hathaway would be the person to make it. You know, almost. I, I'm not sure if I agree with that assessment. All right, <laughs> Lee Merriweather. Now that was an unfortunate casting. I, I just don't think that she is really all that attractive. A very plain looking woman. Would yeah. you agree? Yeah, it's yeah. not. She's not, got the body for it, but that's it. Not the face whatsoever. Eartha Kitt, that, I don't know what they were thinking with that casting. Like, uh, Lee Merriweather is so many leagues above Eartha Kitt. <laughs> I, I would turn her down in a bar. And Holly Berry, I mean, I, I, would, I would probably choose Holly Berry over. 
Oh, over Eartha Kitt? Absolutely. Uh, Halle Berry has been attractive in a few films, like the, the X-Men films where she has the storm wig on and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, not in that Catwoman film where she has that you know gross red lipstick and all. Not working for her. Anne Hathaway, she's uh, got a little bit of a Julia Roberts thing where her lips are just a little too big, you know, too much of a, a smile, like, you know, that disproportionate to the rest of her features. But other than that, absolutely gorgeous. Who, who's that, who's that lead singer of Aerosmith? Steven Tyler. Right, She's got the yeah. Steven Tyler lips. <laughs> and uh, as far as Lily Simmons, like, uh, I mean, she's pretty from these promotional sills I've seen of her, but I, I've not watched the last season of Gotham. That show lost me hard uh, after just a few episodes. So I, I really can't speak too much to what she looks like. But that is who has been cast. Now tell me, Andy. We are making our own Batman movie now in 2019, and we have been given full creative control, especially when it comes to casting. Now, we've got to include Selena Kyle in this movie. What up-and-coming actress are we picking? Okay, well, for me, I would have to pick... Oh, I'd have to correctly cast the one this time instead of having her as the other one. I would correct, uh, correctly cast Serena Swan in this. Um, you might remember her from uh, Marvel's Inhumans as Medusa. Right, right. Like, well, I don't think anyone remembers her actually because, like, no one really saw that. They released it in what a handful of theaters, just the pilot episode. Right? Yeah, it was like they released. Uh, they did a, a big release of IMAX release, and it wasn't really that great. Everything was it. They, the the descriptions were that it was just like it was bare it was very stark like all the all the rooms were just like the, the, what was the point of putting it into imax if it was just going to be so bare in there i i have to agree and then there are some films you want to be on imax that like oh man this is just regular standard definition uh, like i went to go see once upon a time in hollywood last night phenomenal film one of tarantino's best i cannot wait to like do a wisecrack episode about it i'm gonna Pitch it to my boss today, actually. Uh, but, man, that really could have benefited from Dolby Digital or IMAX or just a bigger, crisper picture, I have to say. Or like uh, Hateful Eight, where that was in 73 millimeter, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, did we see that one together, Hateful Eight? No. No? Okay. But, uh, yeah, like just seeing it on the small screen was so disappointing. I, I really do want to go see it again. Just phenomenal, phenomenal film. I, I won't spoil it for any of our listeners that haven't seen it. But my pick for Selena Kyle is a relatively unknown actress named Stephanie Scott. And I have to say, I'm not really too familiar with her whole uh, repertoire, with her filmography. Uh, I really don't know a whole lot of actresses these days. I kind of had to go searching around uh, the internet, you know, I put it in like, who were the Disney starlets of like five, ten years ago that are like the right age to be playing Selena Kyle now? That's kind of how I found someone with just the right look to her. And this uh, Stephanie Scott absolutely has a, this is 2019's Julie Newmar with the body, with a, a very feline aspect to her face, you know, the, the very prominent cheekbones and like the, the sharpness to the cheekbones and like there's a gauntness at the same time and you know uh, and all 
It just kind of looks like a cat's face in some of these. Uh, not in the bad way of like cats and furries, but just in a genuinely sexy way. Like, you know, she's got uh, just that look in her eyes. So that's who I'm going with. <laughs> Stephanie Scott is my pick for Catwoman. All right. Yeah, we are finally actually doing pretty well on time. Like, we've always been wanting to get this down to half hour. We've got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we do have one more segment, as always. And that segment is, so I'm at the bar. And we're going to do uh, a story this time that I like to call Poisoned. And the reason I chose this one is because it actually takes place in the real-life Gotham City. That is, New York. So, I'm at the bar, uh, and this is during the week of Comic-Con, a few years ago. I'm not going to specify exactly when, but uh, I'm at Caravans, and there's supposed to be this uh, costume cosplay party afterwards. Now, I never go to any of these things in a cosplay. Uh, I like what cosplay girls look like, you know, but uh, I don't want to come across as, you know, just some of the hoi polloi. I want to be a little bit more above that so i was dressed up you know and uh if not full suit and tie definitely wear my dinner jacket out you know uh or otherwise just dressing how i normally do and i see this one girl she's also you know not dressed in costume but she has just got that look to her face and so i go up to her like i i, I can tell you're, you're not in costume but you're a cosplayer and she's like you're absolutely right uh I'm just hanging out at this party waiting for a friend that I made on the show floor today to come. Uh, I think you would really like her. And so me and this brunette, we hit it off, uh, the cosplayer. And then her friend comes that she uh, made that day. And her friend is this gorgeous, gorgeous blonde. Uh, and the three of us just start hanging out all night. And this blonde, she has got the coolest job. She is working for... Uh, my favorite artist in all of human history. I'm not going to say who. I don't want to give away too many like biographic details that could identify these women uh, in my <laughs> anecdotes. But uh, needless to say, this artist is like a painter, a, a full-on painter like Rembrandt or Caravaggio or Peter Paul Rubens. Uh, he's got that style to him. Uh, but he does comic books. And so he'll like paint individual panels in the comic books uh, instead of like a pencil and ink and all that he just straight up paints and it's really just phenomenal stuff but she actually like you know ran his booth at comic-con and she like gets lunch with him you know every time like he comes to any of the conventions or whatnot uh she's like his liaison his go-to like managing his gallery at the con floor and all that like such a cool thing I i've told her a few times like hey you got to invite me to uh lunch with the, this artist one day he's like my favorite artist of all time like he's above michelangelo leonardo and any of the mutant ninja turtles like this guy should be his own turtle that's how good of an artist he is so anyway we're, we're hanging out at this kind of like dive bar at this costume party and i say hey we're we're better than this let's get out of here go to a much nicer bar next door and so we go to the skylark which is a 30 story up rooftop bar right in the middle of midtown like you can see all of new york city every single angle from the roof of this bar and again we are hanging out having a good time it is going really well and the brunette she says to me wow you two meaning me and the blonde you would make a really great couple 
Now, I'm normally not a witty guy, but miraculously, exactly the right response came to me right off the tip of my tongue at that moment. Actually, I think you two would make a nice couple. <laughs> oh, God. So, a- after a few more cocktails, we decided to go to another really nice bar uh, in New York, Death & Company. Now, this place is renowned for their cocktails. Uh, every single bar that you've ever been to, they've got Death and Company's uh, cocktail book, like behind the bar somewhere. Like they're world famous. So we're there, and we've had a few drinks at this point, and we start getting rowdy. By me, like at this nice upscale cocktail bar, I'm making out with the brunette. Then I'm making out with the blonde. Then they're making out with each other and back and forth. Climbing over to the table like for all this. Like We literally get thrown out. Now, when I say literally, I'm like talking like, you know, Archer does. Like where I will say if I mean figuratively, I literally mean that my feet were off the ground when the bouncer like threw me out of there. Uh, we, uh, we lose track of the brunette, but uh, it all goes black. After that, next thing I know, I'm waking up in a hotel room that's not mine in the Hotel Pennsylvania next to that beautiful blonde, you know. <laughs> uh, I, she she kind of lost track of what happened that night, too, so not saying, uh, not saying anything, not going to speculate as to what might or might not have happened, uh, but we're actually feeling good that morning. Pr- pretty good. Uh, I'm feeling fine, like not even a hangover or whatnot. But throughout, and so we make plans to meet up later, get some dinner, like go on a proper date together. Now, throughout the day, I start feeling worse and worse and worse. And I'm texting her, and she is the same. And I'm still wanting to go out with this girl so much. I'm trying to like, hey, where do you want to meet for dinner? She's like, "Uh, I'm sorry, cowboy. Like, I am too sick. I am throwing up over the toilet right now. Like, and... You know what? I, I tried to go get a bite to meet myself, and I just couldn't keep anything down. By midnight, I'm almost checking myself into the hospital. Like, it turns out, and we we independently verified this, we were uh, we were poisoned. Someone slipped something into one of our drinks. We think at Death and Company, uh, uh, appropriately so, given the name, because I thought, man, am I gonna die tonight? And I'm like, I got one more night of the con. Do, do I just want to skip out on it? Do I want to not go to the world premiere of the new Batman movie? Uh, you know, the cartoon voiced by my childhood hero, you know, Dick Grayson, uh, you know, Burt Ward. Uh, you know what? But I, I soldiered through. 6 a.m. comes around, and I'm a new man. Whatever poison had been in my system had passed through, I'm clear-headed, and that's when one of the greatest moments of my life happened. Right after the movie, I, I go... Uh, to talk to my childhood hero, Burt Ward, and I asked him about a scene in that movie. And I'm like, there's a scene where you and Batman are on a giant pool table as part of one of these, you know, traps to kill you. And you exclaim, holy big balls, Batman. Now, Burt, I gotta ask you, is that a subtle reference to what you're talking about in your autobiography about how you used to always brag on set about the size of your member? And he looks at me and he says, Son, I, I can't answer that question. There are a lot of kids in this audience right now. But for asking that question, you have big balls. 
You get a poster. So, one of my favorite superheroes, my childhood hero, told me personally that I had big balls. One of the greatest moments of my life. Oh, and with that, we were going to finish off this episode. Uh, this is just part one. We are going to be talking about all of Bruce Wayne's other love interests in part two uh, next week. Until then, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, we are going to get a Twitter handler soon. Uh, yeah, we're, we're around. You can find my work uh, over at uh, Wisecrack. You know, I write videos for them, especially the Superhero Fair. So, uh, but if you want to get in contact with us, get in contact with us over uh, over at Facebook. Uh, it's the Super Sexy Podcast. Easy to find. Until next time, see y'all. Bye. <laughs>